You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. Also, Cash. I just, it's just a little Twitter spat, and I know you're here listening. So, anyways, thank you all very much for tuning in. It's very greatly appreciated. Today, we're going to kind of just go in a little bit of a different direction. Maybe. I don't I don't think we did questions last week, but that's what we're doing today. At least one question. Uh, I also want to look at... My goodness, we got the alarms going off early today. We're just off to a great start. Also want to look at uh, the injury reports. Not that there have been any, but it is relatively important that we look at uh, the guys that we have and the general consensus, as well as what's going on with the New Orleans Saints. Why did I say it like that? I don't know, man. I don't know things are about to happen literally until they happen. But anywho, um, last week, Marcus Davenport, the pass rusher, was out with an elbow injury. Michael Thomas was out uh, with an ankle injury. Chase Hansen, a linebacker, not a very impactful one, was also out in this game. Obviously, Michael Thomas is massive, as is Marcus Davenport. You might remember Marcus Davenport. The Packers did a trade with the New Orleans Saints. We traded back, got a first-round pick, traded back up, got Jair. That's how we ended up getting two first-round picks, so we got uh, not only Rashawn Gary, but Darnell Savage. Anyways, the Saints took Marcus Davenport. Uh, we all kind of laughed. Ha-ha, he's not very good. Well, he became very good because, you know, sometimes those things happen where guys aren't good as rookies, like 98% of rookies, and then they become good because some players are good. It's just a thing. But anyways... I still have not quite watched the game, but there is a general consent. I mean, there's a lot of different theories, one of which obviously is that Drew Brees is regressing. You've got other people pointing out the fact that the Saints have not gone 2-0 since, like, forever. So they very commonly drop one early, usually to a game, or, you know, well, most games they're expected to win, but generally to a team that they should beat. Um, But there's also talk that a lot of it had to do with the fact that this offense is just not the same without Michael Thomas. Which is extremely understandable. I mean, it, it's it's basically the exact same thing as if Devontae went out. I mean, this is a good quarterback, good running back, good offensive line, but it's still a massive loss to lose a guy like Devontae. I know we won four in a row, but understand what I'm saying. It's not a terrible theory. So there there is no official word yet, but that is probably the most impactful. Uh, Michael Thomas's injury is actually a high ankle sprain, which usually is pretty serious. I'm sure there are varying degrees of that. They talked about the possibility that he would come back Monday. I don't know. You know, th- there's always a thing in the back of my mind that wonders if it's a little bit of gamesmanship. Because we've seen this before, and I think the Packers have done this before, where they're, they're saying, oh, he's, he's close, he might go, he might go, and then they don't go. And you're thinking, well, 100% they're back next week, and it's the same process all over again. I think a part of it is 
you you want to have at least this halfway advantage of forcing the defense, the opposing defense, to have to prepare for a guy that you know isn't playing. The other interesting little tidbit, though, and this applies also to the Packers and our injuries, is that it's beneficial to any team that assumes you're going to be out for three weeks to put them on IR because you can have unlimited people come back from IR. As long as you've got plenty of space on and on your IR, you would take anybody that is going to be out for at least three weeks, you put them on IR, that way you can elevate some people, possibly sign some people, get some additional help while they're going to rest, and you just bring them back when they're ready. That being said, you would assume Michael Thomas's injury, Marcus Davenport's injury, Kenny Clark's injury, Devontae Adams' injury, at the very least, not that they can't be three weeks long, but that there's at least a chance that it's not going to be three weeks and that they genuinely believe it. They could be wrong. Sometimes you just don't know. Like with Kenny Clark, we, we think he could be ready, but it's one of those lingering soft tissue deals. It's like, how you feeling? Well, kind of the same. Come on. I'm close. And then you end up being close for like a week. So there, there's a bit of uh, hemming and hawing going on about this Michael Thomas injury. On one hand, um, people are saying that they genuinely believe this is a multiple-week injury. The nature of the injury, the fact that he didn't practice even once, the fact that the early reports are that he is going to be out for several weeks, the very nature of what a high ankle sprain is. There's a whole article at NOLA.com about this. Um, High ankle sprain differs slightly from what characterizes as a common ankle sprain because different ligaments are affected. The ligaments involved with high ankle sprain are located above the ankle joint between the fibula and tibia bones, whereas a common ankle sprain blah, 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 blah. But one of the biggest differences between the two types of sprains is the general length of time it takes to recover. They're no, quote, they're notorious for taking a longer time to heal than just a regular ankle sprain. It's a much broader set of ligaments, so you do use them while you're doing football activities, but to injure them, it takes a little bit more energy. So when you're torquing on it, it may cause a little pain, blah, blah, blah. So, so part of the problem is it's probably relatively easy to not practice, to take it easy, to ice it, to take a bunch of pain medicine and say, I'm, I'm 100%. The problem is if the ligaments aren't 100% healed, there's no way, there's no cast, there's nothing you can do to protect those ligaments. They just have to be 100% healed. And if you decide to rush it with a high ankle sprain, as a wide receiver with the kind of cuts that you're making, especially when you talk about Michael Thomas, Devontae Adams type guys with the real sharp cuts and all that kind of stuff, you're torquing on those things way too hard. You can't rush this back. You will hurt it again. And they know that. I'm not saying it's impossible. Maybe it wasn't as bad of a sprain. I'm, I'm not an expert. I'm just saying this is just, I'm just reading an article right now. I mean, the last part was editorial, but you know, I'm just elaborating, I guess. It says, rehab-wise, the general path is you work on getting range of motion back, you establish that, and then you restore strength and coordination. You got guys like Teron Armstead who did miss just one game. So it is possible. But you got Traquan Smith who missed five games. So I guess we'll see. I mean, maybe it's gamesmanship, or maybe he was really close to coming back, which would mean he's probably going to play against the Packers on Sunday night. I believe it's Sunday night. I suppose it's also worth noting, although it's probably, I mean, it's it's 100% unrelated, but uh, Marcus Davenport was put on IR late last year with a foot injury. This is an elbow injury, so we're talking about it in a completely different part of the body. But you do worry about guys who have injury issues, right? He ended last season IR. He's starting this season with an injury. And, I mean, the fact of the matter is, even if Marcus Davenport does come back, he was out week one also, meaning this is his first game back. Um if there are other injuries that cropped up or whatever, we'll find that out today. Or, well, yeah, today we'll f- talk about tomorrow on the podcast. But as far as the Packers are concerned, again, the, the general 
positive uh, note about Kenny Clark would be the fact that he wasn't put on IR, which means we would expect him back either this week or next week. Again, it's entirely possible they just misjudged it. And you don't want to put a guy like Kenny Clark, as important as he is, on IR. I mean, you can do it with a guy like Equinemia because he's probably not going to get much playing time anyway. So if it's like, well, could be two weeks, could be six weeks. It's like, you know what, let's just do IR. We, we, maybe he's healthy for one week that we don't get to use him. We'll, we'll survive. With Kenny Clark, if there's any chance he can come back before the uh, three weeks, or four weeks, I guess, you don't put him on IR. Even if it's a 10% chance, I'm not doing it. Meaning this could be much longer drawn out. And again, we, we probably just don't know. It's going to be a day-to-day, week-to-week. Um, the only thing we'll know definitively is if they say he's good to go. Otherwise, we don't know. And they probably won't know. Other than he's still not ready. Which is the problem, again, with like hamstring and groin and all these kinds of things. It always just comes down to, is he ready? No. When's he going to be ready? I don't know. We're working on it. They'll say little things like, well, he's feeling better today or whatever. But yeah, he'll feel worse tomorrow. You just, it's, it's stupid. Very good news about Devontae, not that he's 100% by any stretch of the imagination, but um, apparently he was ready to come back in. He would have been playing a little bit injured, but Matt LaFleur um, did confirm the fact that they very possibly could have put him back in, and his advice to Devontae was, why don't we just hold out, hang out, and we'll see how these next couple drives go. Obviously, the Packers handled it just fine without him, and so they chose for that reason not to put him back in. Um, It's not impossible that they would have put him back in in an ill-advised fashion and that he's too injured and he talks with the coaches and he starts to get a lot of soreness and swelling and all this stuff and things get worse but the general consensus is Devontae should be fine but again we'll we'll see what happens with that anyways before we move on I've got a lot of thank yous to hand out today really really excited about uh, the amount of support that I've been getting recently the amount of just just people reaching out and saying kind words obviously not everybody some people have not kind words but that's fine too We're to the point in my career where I feel fairly comfortable, and if somebody says I don't like your show, I'm fine with that. I also feel like I I kind of position myself to have the kind of show where some people really like it, and some people really hate it. That's just a choice I've made. (laughs) But anyways, um, let's get this party started. Little game I call Donate a Dollar, and I'll try to pronounce your name. Um, Let's see. First of all, thank you to Mr. James for jumping in on um, Patreon. He signed up for the yearly subscription. That is absolutely fantastic. Zach, Jason, and Daniel LaFollette, they edited their pledge. You know, they're not new, but they're doing stuff in Patreon, so thanks for being a part of it. I'll say your name, man. I don't care. Thank you very much to Mr. Sutton Miller for the donation on Facebook. And then, and I, again, I may be repeating a little bit here. If I didn't already, thank you to Mr. Mark uh, Michael... I think I said Matt Sarver and Michael B. yesterday, but thank you anyways. Thank you also to Mr. Ben Schrankler, Stephen Hutchins, John Bauer, Timothy Luttrup, and Tim Walsh. All of you guys helped me out on Venmo. Mr. John Bauer is also going to help me um, with my computer situation, trying to find a more optimized computer for what it is that I'm doing. Um, Again, I just... The last couple days have been ridiculous, and I just really appreciate what everybody's doing, and I want to at least do that. Um, I'm not going to make any declarations because I haven't quite worked it out, and I don't want to promise you guys anything and then just not deliver because that would be wildly rude. But I'm going to work on some stuff and see what I can come up with. i got to do something. I know that's not the point, but i I got to put something together. So I'll think of something, and uh, we'll figure it out. I need a project anyways. 
But thank you, thank you very much. You can jump in and uh, support the show for as little as a dollar a month. You can sign up for a yearly plan if you want over for Patreon. You get, uh, I don't know, 30-something percent discount. I don't know. It's like $10 for the year. Uh, there's v- uh, Venmo, PayPal, Facebook. There's a, a billion different ways if you wanted to help the show. Or, like Mr. John Bauer or some of the other people that have helped in different ways. If you if you don't want to give money but you think you can help in other ways, obviously JJ started off just by helping with certain ways, and now he's... Well, I probably can't say, but he's got some big project he's about to start. I'm not going to say I'm going to take all the credit for it, but does he have this new job if it's not for me? No. So feel free to use me as a stepping stone to get to a better, more desirable position. Also, Mr. Justin Young, uh, if you've been seeing some of the graphics that have been going up on the Packernet Podcast Facebook page, that's Justin. He's doing fantastic work over there. So really, I'm, I'm, it's just, we're just having a good old time, and if you want to be a part of it, just reach out and we'll figure something out. That's basically what I'm saying. Why don't we just take a break here so that I can just launch into some stuff and not have to worry about interruptions and pausing and all that nonsense. So let's do these real quick and um, launch into something else. First of all, let's start off by saying thank you to Iron Jock. Not only did they choose to uh, work with this show, which is greatly appreciated, but uh, they're, they're doing a lot of giveaways just for our show. And so I'm going to be getting that up very shortly. I want to at least wait until the injury report comes out so guys aren't picking people that are injured or whatever. But we're going to be doing Iron Jock Player of the Game once again, where you guys get the chance, once you get in the Packernet Podcast Facebook group or like the Facebook page, to select who you think is going to be the Iron Jock Player of the Game. And if you pick the right person, you have a chance to win a Iron Jock hoodie. There's a part of me that's really nervous that he's not sending me hoodies, but I'm I'm pretty positive he said hoodies. But you're getting something from Iron Jock, and this is high-quality material. This is a Wisconsin-based company who has just recently launched their company out of, I believe, Oconomowoc. I was kind of kind of stalking the company a little bit, and I th- believe it's Oconomowoc. But they've got their own uh, proprietary Enduratech fabric, which is great for wicking and fast-drying. It's breathable material. material. It's anti-static. It eliminates odors. They've also got Enduratech Plus fabric, which has all the benefits above, but it's also water repellent. You can get the Enduratech, I don't know why that's so hard to say, features in the long pants, shorts, hoodies, and running jackets. Obviously, those will keep you dry, but uh, one of the prime reasons why this is really fantastic stuff is beyond all of that, the comfort, the style, which you can see at ironjock.com. This is infused with silver ion, which is actually killing bacteria in the clothing. 99.9% of all bacteria and fungus caused by sweating. If you want to check this out, go over to ironjock.com. That's I-R-N-J-O-C.com. Look at their unique line of uh, apparel that features their silver ion technology. They've also got videos over there that you can play to get a better idea of what it is I'm talking about and fumbling my way explaining. Because he's really good at explaining it to me over the phone. And I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. Makes perfect sense. And then I try to relay it to you. And it's like, dude, I don't know. It's really high-tech stuff. I just, just go watch the video. Something about when you wash it, it like reactivates. It's crazy. I don't know, man. It's nuts. But go check out ironjock.com. When you're done buying that sweet, sweet apparel, maybe you should head over to mybookie.ag. Currently, the New Orleans Saints are, again, three-point favorites because Vegas never learns. And again, I'm not trying to tell you what you do with your money. It's all yours. You do whatever you want. And if you're a pessimist and you're not liking the, uh, the Packers' odds... You got the Kansas City Chiefs being listed as dogs. Wrinkly old Tom Brady is a six and a half point favorite. The Colts, who are not very good, apparently, are 11 point favorites over the Jets. I get that it's the Jets, but I'm just saying. Falcons are four point favorites over the 2 0 Chicago Bears. There's a lot of action here. Cleveland, seven point favorite. I just, I don't want Cleveland for seven points of anything. 
But the real appeal of my bookie, on top of some real good opportunity here, is the live betting in-game. You can bet on just the most ridiculously random stuff ever. You can bet on the halftime score. You can literally bet on the weather if you want to. You can bet on chess. You can bet on religion, who will be the next pope. You can bet on politics. But on top of all that exciting and fun action, if you sign up today using promo code OVERTIME, they're going to double your first deposit. Put down 20, they're going to give you 20 to play with. On top of that, take a screen grab of your brand spanking new account. Send that picture over to overtime at advertisecast.com. Do it quickly because at the end of this month, one of the people that sends an email to overtime at advertisecast.com is going to be selected to win $500 cash. Again, no reason not to be doing this. All you have to do is sign up. Please just go sign up. Also, I just found out because somebody was showing me this process, when you use that code and they ask how you heard about it, you can say podcast, and then under there it says, well, please be more specific. Make sure you put in the Packernet podcast, please. I don't want them to just be impressed with the Overtime Network. I want them to know it's the Packernet podcast that drives this bad boy. That 95% of all the business we got was from the Packernet podcast because they've got some diehard loyal fans that are here for a party. And they heard about a good time over at my bookie, and they came flooding in. And they're sitting back going, I don't know who this Pack Daddy guy is, but we want to party with that guy. You know, it's just, that's kind of how it's going down in my mind. I don't know. I'm not sure exactly what their conversation is, but it's it's a it's a sports betting company. So it's, I don't picture it being too stuffy. We want to party with that guy. Sounds like a, a sentence they would say. Just check it out. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. So I want to start off with a question I got from Mr. Kevin Rogers. Um, he asked a very complex question, mentioned he was a really big nerd, and then just casually brought up that he's a big wig over at Microsoft, which instantly uh, caused a small panic attack. 
So I, I took his question. I opened up uh, Microsoft uh, Excel, and I was like, come on, Excel, help me with this question. Uh, turns out Excel does not work like Alexa, so I closed that, started over. But I'll read his question. I will then dumb it down and butcher it in such a way that it barely answers the question, but at least I can get something out there. He says, question for you based on today's podcast, on your point how underrated Matt LaFleur is. Like PFF, is there a relationship between the success of the various position coaches and the season outcomes? Example, does the cumulative experience and result generated by Packers coaching staff tend to be better, tend to better position the team versus others? At the end of the day, just curious how much influence there really is versus players on the field. Is there some sort of index that could be created like coach viability index that says if you're above 100, you should be at least 9-7? and seven? Wondering if this one, if this is one of the contributing factors to fewer Super Bowls. He says, fellow data junkie can't help it. So some of this, I just, I genuinely feel is not answerable. Um, when we look at the broad spectrum of coaches to really try to break down how much of a contribution each individual coach has on the success of the team, especially when we start looking at, you know, based on experience, I, I would really doubt based on the quality of the coach, probably. But let's let's reverse engineer this for something that I did uh, last year, which again is wildly dumbed down, but it's the best I can offer you. Um, and that is essentially when I reversed engineered um, the PFF overall grades to look at if you were to sort of estimate, let's say, the 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 record of a team based on their PFF grades, what would their grade be? And essentially it was take the highest graded team and the highest, you know, whatever it is. Let's say at the time it was, uh, I don't know, 14 and 2. So this grade equates to 14 and 2, and then you got another team that's 1 and 15 at the bottom, and that grade correlates there. And then you just try to draw a line and generally kind of map out this grade would equate to this record. From there, what I did is I said, okay, what is the record? How many more wins or losses does a team have based on what you would expect? The reason I did this was because of the whole fraud argument, right? The Packers are fraudulent. And essentially, I was somewhat agreeing because their grade was lower than what their their record would indicate. In other words, they're not necessarily a 13-3 and kind of team. Now, interestingly enough, they were not by any stretch, the most fraudulent. I don't have that in front of me, so I don't remember exactly what it was. I'm sure I could recreate that. I probably should have done that beforehand. It just dawned on me now. I could have rebuilt it. Wouldn't have taken very long. But anyways, the the, the reason I even bothered to bring it up is there are external factors that cause you to be more or less. And I think coaching does play into that quite a bit. When you look at the Detroit Lions, I've said consistently, this is a team that should be a lot better than it is. Now, it doesn't have to be just the coaching. I think for the Packers, a lot of it is coaching, but there's other factors that go into it. I think when you look at a team like the Detroit Lions, the fact that two years in a row now have been saying they're going to be better, they're going to be better, they're going to be better, and I keep being wrong, is because of guys like Matt Patricia. He's doing the wrong things, whether it's the game planning, um, his use of talent, the way that he uses them, his scheme, his, his play calling. It's dragging his team way down low, way lower than it should be. Now, I suppose it's possible you could look at a few other variables and try to isolate those and adjust for those variables so that you get a, a, a cleaner look at what the adjusted would be and then just say whatever's left over is the, the coaching impact. Tell you what, as I've been saying, if, if this ever becomes a full-time gig, I'll work on that. Probably not today. <laughs> 
that's that's a big undertaking. But but let's continue on with that. I'm I'm gonna segue away from that, Kevin. Thank you for that question and kind of dig a little bit because I do think it's interesting because we do need to revisit the fraud argument because the fact of the matter is the Green Bay Packers were given no credit, no credence this year because the assumption is there's frauds and there's I think there were some good and some bad arguments based on that. Just simply saying this team doesn't look like a team that is that is um, very good, I thought was a terrible argument because the fact of the matter is I would agree, but I would also say that this team is primed to get better. And that's what nobody wanted to acknowledge, and I think it's because they got stuck in their head about the, the very basic information without looking at any context. And there's, there's two major factors. Number one, why are they winning despite not being good enough? Number two, are they going to get better or are they going to get worse? And everything about this team pointed to getting better. It's a very young team. I don't know how many thousands of times I've said it. It's the second year for the entire offense. It's a second year for half of our defense. It's the third year for, for a handful of others. Then you look at the youth. Elton Jenkins is young. Lazard, MVS, Sternberger, DeGuara, Dillon. Even, even Jamal and Aaron Jones are relatively young. Defensively, Rashawn. I mean, the, the oldest guy in our defense is what, like 26, 27? Maybe 28? How old is Amos? He's 27. I, there's probably a 28-year-old somewhere. I just don't know who it would be. Jair, Kevin King, Kenny Clark, Rashawn, Amos, Savage. I mean, when you got veterans that are 27, that's crazy. This is an extremely young team, but nobody's looking that much into the context like they should be. And then you have a couple decent arguments like, well, you look at uh, their record in one-score games and then you look at their, their turnovers, and these are prime indicators of a regression team, and I think that's fair. The problem is, again, it's not that statistics lie. Statistics never, ever, ever, ever lie. They never have. They never will. They're just numbers. The problem is people are too stupid to know how to use them, and then they blame the numbers saying they lied. No, 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 no. You just didn't use them properly. A number can't lie. You just have to ask the right questions, use the right numbers in the right way, and you'll get the right answer. I get a lot of stuff wrong, but there's a reason why I get more things correct than a lot of other people. Rather than just blurting nonsense out of my mouth, you just you just really look into it. I didn't know what the Packers are going to be, but you ask the right questions, use the right information, and more often than not, you're going to get the right answer. Seemingly wrong about the Lions. Why? Because I was asking the wrong questions. How good is the team is the wrong question. How good is Matt Patricia? How much is Matt Patricia holding this team back? Apparently, that was the right question. That was the right context I needed that I was not looking at. Now, there's, it's still time, and what happens when they get Galladay back? There's still a chance they're going to completely blow up. We'll see. But with the Packers, let's start with the uh, one-score game stat. Now, when you look at a, a massive pile of information, and you say 84% of the time when a team is this record in one-score games, they're going to regress down to you know half of what their record was. I don't know. There was some stat. I don't know. It's, but it's, it's very strongly in one direction. That's fine. But we still have to look at context. If you're going to give me that, I need to look into that. Because it's not 100%. What happens in those other cases? What are some of the reasons for these things? Because it, it makes sense on its face, because I think a lot of the time what we're assuming is these are 50-50s. A lot of the time when it's right down to the wire, the, the team that wins is you know the team that has the ball last or whatever. You know, you look at the Packers historically, they were not very good in these tight games. A lot of that came down to the fact that the Packers didn't have a defense. Isn't that interesting? Is it possible 
that instead of losing these games, we're winning these games because instead of giving up, you know, 60 yards on that final drive and a field goal to cap off the game in which the Packers lose, Zedarius gets a sack at the 50-yard line and the Packers get the ball back and run out the clock with Aaron Jones and win the game for a change. Is it possible that there's a reason we're winning? Is it possible that the change in the atmosphere in the locker room, instead of a team that's just frustrated and doesn't play well, is a team that believes in itself down to the the last second? Because it's obviously true. If you flip a coin 10 times and eight times it lands on heads, and then you ask, okay, next year, what do you think? And a bunch of Packer fans are like, man, we're going to get eight heads this year too. For the rational, analytical thinking people to say, well, I understand why you would think that, simple-minded people. But the correct answer should be five. That's true, but I feel like there's more context than a coin flip. And I don't think they're asking that question. I think they're, they're doing some basic Googling. They see that the Packers fall into two regression categories and say, there you go, regression candidate. And they still may. We beat the, the Vikings, who seem to be terrible, and the Lions, who seem to be terrible. We could still end 8-8. Eight and eight. Seems unlikely considering the offensive dominance, but the point is, again, you're not using all of the proper context. And then you look at interceptions and takeaways. Look, I, 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 can't, I can't not look at Kevin King and say, okay, that was probably a little iffy. I mean, if it's, if it's Darrell Revis... And he gets a bunch of picks, and you're like, regression candidates? Like, yeah, not really. He's Darrell Revis. He'll probably do that next year. But Kevin King gets like five picks, and it's like, yeah, he probably won't do that again. But again, let's let's try to be honest about the context. It's not as though this is a bad team. The Packers already have two interceptions, including a pick six, which I don't know. Did we have a single pick six last year? It's off to a pretty solid start, isn't it? If this team is going to regress with the turnovers, you would expect to not have two picks in two games already. And when you add in the context that both of these interceptions came on Rashawn Gary pressures and you realize, oh yeah, that's right. When you got a pass rusher who's in your face and you try to throw a ball, that really raises the likelihood of an interception, which reminds me of a Kevin King pick last year, which I think had Dean Lowry right in Kirk Cousins' face as he launched that ball into the end zone and Kevin King laid out and got that pick. These are very close passes that are just barely ill-advised, that are just a little bit off. Do the Packers still have the pass rushers? Yes, they do. They still have talented enough corners to to at least be optim or, or uh, opportunistic. Yes, they do. They're good enough to at least get those opportunistic balls. So again, just randomly throwing out things like regression, and I, I've talked about regression like the Chicago Bears, but I came from a different standpoint. When I said the Bears are going to regress, it came from a place of saying you have an entire defense that is wildly overperforming. You have a group of guys that is, it is basically impossible for them to do this again. And I said that about Zadarius. Not that he necessarily has to get a lot worse, but the numbers are just not going to be the same. I said that about Preston. He doesn't necessarily have to regress as a player, although he seems to be, but he's probably not going to get the same amount of sacks. But that still doesn't account for the fact that Zadarius is still probably going to be very dominant, and he is. Kenny could be very much better than he was last year, considering it wasn't until like week 11 or 12 before he finally got going. So... There's every reason to believe he's going to get better. There's every reason to believe Rashawn will get better, and he is. There's reason to believe Jair can get better, and he is. There's reason to believe Kevin could get better, and he seems to be off to a decent start. Savage and Amos are not, but we know Amos is going to be better than he is right now because this is the worst he's ever been through two weeks. I don't know what's going on with the safeties. Again, I don't know if the the new DB coach has something to do with changing ways of doing things. or I I don't know, but every reason to believe they're going to continue to get better, especially Savage, who's still just trying to figure this thing out. So from my standpoint, if you just look at raw numbers, they fall into a category of we expect regression. 
But I think if you actually looked at the context, it's it's harder to come to that conclusion. And I, I don't think you're getting a lot of, again, those were the only really good answers I heard is look at the turnover ratio and then the fact of one-score games. But the problem is you have to go further than that and answer those questions. And for the people that are simply looking at the Packers and saying, yeah, but I mean, they're not that good, look at them. You're not even bothering to ask the question, why did they win? Why didn't they, why didn't they lose those games? There's something there. There were times when, when the, I mean, part of the, you could almost look at it from the opposite perspective. People chose to look at it in terms of they looked really bad at times, so why did they win? You could look at it from the standpoint of as good as this defense was at times, as good as the offense was at times, why didn't they blow out more people, right? It's, it's sort of like a light bulb is, is flickering on and off. Everybody's waiting for the bulb to go off, but what if it just stays on? And, and is it more likely that it just shuts off or that it kicks on? Now, don't get too hung up on the light bulb, because obviously if your light bulb's flickering, you're assuming it's about to go out. But aside from that, it's going to go one way or the other. And again, what is what is your basis? Matt LaFleur, brand spanking new head coach, hasn't even unraveled his scheme yet. Aaron Rodgers, Hall of Fame quarterback, who's going to be learning a system that is very quarterback friendly. Again, I didn't expect it to be this good. But again, this is kind of, I've told you, this is look what happened with Elway. Look at what happened with Matt Ryan. When, when you get this scheme and you get Matt LaFleur and these kind of guys in there, it kind of helps out quarterbacks a bit. You got Devontae has literally gotten better every single year of his career. At some point, he's got to cap out, but no reason to believe he's fallen off. Aaron Jones is dominant. We've added A.J. Dillon, who's going to be able to help complete this LaFleur scheme, as is Josiah DeGuara, as I've been saying. Zadarius, Preston, Rashawn, we'll go through the whole list all over again. There's nobody I'm looking at going, oh, yeah, yeah, they're headed, they're headed in the wrong direction. Look at the Chicago Bears. Prince of Mukamura played wildly out of his brain. Top 10 cornerback. Is that, did, did anybody think that that was going to repeat? Nobody said the Bears are going to regress. Why? Because they're just doing basic, lame, boring Google searches. I mean, some people said it because of the, the turnover ratio, and it ended up becoming true. But again, this is just confirmation bias on a stat that is not very good. I mean, you're going to be right more often than not, but you're going to be right even more if you actually look at the context. The stat nerds said the the Bears and the Packers would regress. They were right once. I said the Bears would regress and the Packers would not, although I said the record would be less than 13, and I still think it will be. We'll see. I mean, who knows what's going to happen. The, 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 the only reason I say that is because it's just so hard to attain that. Really good teams win 12 games. You know, with the questions on defense and everything else, I mean, would, would you be upset about that? Is it possible that this is one of the more dominant teams we've ever seen offensively that is still a really talented defense, but we only win 12 games and get into the playoffs? Are we looking at that as a massive failure? Would we even call that regression? At this point, no. This is massive progression. So again, I kind of hijacked the question, and it's important because I do want to look at it again. Um, Obviously, nobody's calling the Packers frauds right now. I mean, they can because of who the competition is, but if you just use the basic metric of PFF, the Packers are the number one team in football right now. The Packers are the standard, and if this defense continues to improve, again, it's just a matter of, and and they're not going to revisit it. They're not going to bother because at the end of the day, it's sort of like gambling, right? You just, you play the numbers, you play the odds, you you got your system down, and you're going to be right more often than not, and that's just how it works out. And, and when you're looking at it from a macro view, right, I, I would probably do the same thing if you asked me about the Raiders or whatever. I'm not going to look at, well, I guess I would. Whatever. In general, if you don't have the ability to sit here and do a daily podcast and obsess over a team 24 hours a day, you're not going to have the full context and you might not care. 
you just look at it and go, I don't know, I watched a couple games that didn't look that good. I don't know how they got to 13 wins. And then I Googled a couple categories, and they fall into these regression categories. So it just everything just kind of comes together perfectly. So they're all sitting around scratching their heads saying, why is this happening? And I, I'm, I've been telling you why this is going to happen. Although it's still possible, and, and I think the biggest questions come on defense because some of the key playmakers, like Zadarius, are part of that regression conversation. Right now, Zadarius uh, Smith's pass rush pressure rate is 8.5%. That's actually really, really horrible, despite his two sacks. I mean, that's really bad. Now, it's a small sample size is part of the problem. But again, it's not where you want it to be, especially against two pretty bad offensive lines. The Saints are not going to be an easier task. Preston is at 5.4%. He's drifting into nose tackle territory. He's legitimately one of the worst players on this team right now. Fortunately, we got Rashawn, who's holding us up at, at like 15.6% pressure rate. Rashawn is just dominant right now in terms of pressuring quarterback. But again, plenty of time. We're, we're talking about 59 attempts. That's not very many attempts. If he gets, if, if his first, if Zadarius Smith comes out and his first play is a pressure, he jumps up to 10%, just like that. Right? That's how volatile it is right now, be, being this small of a sample size. If his first two plays are pressures, he jumps up to 18%. <laughs> so, again, patience. But yeah, the fact of the matter is, I mean, the, the, this team is in a great position. It's a young team. It's an ascending team. It's a team that, that acquires talent well. It's a team that manages the cap well. That's, that's the perfect environment for a team to be in. It's why the Packers have been at or near the top for so long. Now, winning a Super Bowl is a separate conversation, but there's no formula for that. I mean, we, we've, we've toyed with different things like, well, you got to have a good defense or you got to get hot toward the end or you got to do this or that or the other, but there's, there's no perfect thing. It's just, it's, it's a hard thing to do. But putting yourself in a position to be a really talented team is, is what you can control, and that's that's what they've done a really good job of. Um, I was just talking to JJ about the Raiders and how much I really like the Raiders um, and the fact that I'm ashamed of myself for not at least putting a little bit more faith in their ability to beat the Saints because I've been talking so highly about the Raiders and John Gruden and what he's done with this team and overperforming to such a wild degree. If they continue to acquire talent the way that they have, um, imagine what John Gruden would do with an actual good roster because their defense is not good. Their offense has got some talent, but their defense is not good. Conversely, you look at the Kansas City Chiefs, right? This, this is the difference. People look at the Raiders and they laugh at them and they think John Gruden's a joke. People look at the Chiefs and say this is the greatest team in history. It's a future dynasty. I see the exact opposite. I don't think it's going to be very long before the, the Raiders are ahead of the Chiefs. Now, it's going to be hard because Pat Mahomes is a Chief, and as long as you have that elite of a quarterback, it's, it's going to be tough to overtake him. But it's a bit of a paper tiger in which you have Mahomes, and if anything happens to Mahomes, there's nothing else there to like. Tyreek and Kelsey obviously are solid, but the offensive line is is good, but but not getting better. I've, I've mentioned before, once they lost Dorsey, they've not acquired basically a single person on this team that's any good. They're not bringing in better talent, so the team is just eroding, similar to what's going on with Seattle. Now, granted, Seattle's found a way to make it work despite drafting terribly for about 18 years. It's an exaggeration, and that's what a really good quarterback can do for you. But they're, they're not in a good position. Seattle's not in a good position. As good as they are, I mean, they, maybe they win a Super Bowl this year. It's not impossible. But this is not a team built on success because they don't have a GM that knows how to draft. He's terrible. The best he can do is pay a lot of money for free agents, and you can only do that for so long before the whole thing just crumbles. It's, it's, I've, I've commonly referred to it as a death rattle. It's the, final, it's the final thing before a team dies is you go out and spend what little money you have left on the best players you can find. They went out and got Jadavian Clowney last year. This year they get uh, Jamal Adams. They're trying desperately to bring in any amount of talent to keep this thing afloat because they have no ability to draft any talent or even find 
marginal talent that can help the team. They got to go out and just get the best of the best because they don't they don't have the ability like Brian Gutekunst to find a Zadarius Smith or even a Preston Smith for that matter or an Adrian Amos. Don't get the big name guy that's you're going to overpay for. Get the good value that's going to help your team, and then you can get three or four of them and draft well, and the whole thing kind of comes together. So there's a bigger picture than just you know, skimming the surface like you're going to get on, on the ESPNs and the whatever other channels there are out there where they just look at Chiefs good, Raiders bad. I don't know why they're all Native American, but I was going for Caveman, but it, it sounded 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 different <laughs> than, I was, than I was going for. So again, it's... If nothing else, we got to take solace in that. And I know there, there are some concerns, right? Um, Aaron Rodgers' age, do we have the defense to get us over the hill? And if Mike Pettin is not the answer, if this defense doesn't get better despite stacking so much talent, we've got a problem. And the problem doesn't get fixed until Mike Pettin goes away and we have to actually find somebody that can do it. And that, there's no guarantee you can get that guy. Does that guy exist? Are you going to be able to find him? I've talked before about the Baltimore Ravens defensive coordinator and how this guy was seemingly a terrible hire in my estimation. He was a longtime like linebackers coach, worked his way up forever, finally got a shot to be a defensive coordinator, and was terrible. Instantly gets fired. I think he went over to Baltimore again, becoming like an outside or inside linebacker coach, worked his way up for like another decade. They finally handed him the defensive coordinator job, and it's like, oh, geez, you, you didn't learn your lesson, did you? And all of a sudden, boom! elite defense maybe it wasn't Baltimore I think it was but it's just it's one of those things there's no formula for this and if if Petten isn't the guy then we've got a problem we've got you know I hate to say cancer because it's just an analogy all right relax there, there's there's something wrong inside there's a bug in the computer it's probably a safer analogy but I'm, I'm less I can't work with that because I don't know anything I don't know what you do with that point is though he's got to go away and we got to get something better in here it's like a, it's it's like a defective organ. How's that? Is that that's not offensive, right? I mean, you're fine. Everything's gonna be good. It's like one of your lungs. You can still breathe, and we're just gonna take the one out and put a new one in. Good to go. Everybody good? No screeching or crying about that. I feel like we should be all right with that. That's fine. We need a new lung. Mike Pettin is a defective lung. Maybe, maybe he's not. I don't know. But that's that's really the only potential hindrance I see. Matt Lafleur has proven he's fantastic. The offense, the weapons, fantastic. The defense, we know that we've got weapons. It's really just a question of can we put this talent together? Can we make it work, right? Bill Belichick is probably the greatest in all history at figuring out the pieces we have and making it work. And considering we have so much talent, and so if, of, co- of course there's holes. There's holes on the defensive line. There's holes at linebacker. But, but we're being ridiculous if we look at that and say it's not good enough. Yes, it is. Should I remind you of the Chiefs' defense? probably the worst linebacking group in football. They don't have anybody along that defensive line except a massively overrated, overpaid pass rusher and a really talented defensive lineman that's basically Kenny Clark. It would be like Kenny Clark, Preston, and nobody, except their guy is overrated and our guy was underrated. And I think Preston actually did better in pressures, but whatever. Corners, nope. Safeties, I think they have one. They won the Super Bowl. They had a defensive coordinator that took this pile of not very good guys and suddenly turned them into a decent defense that actually was making plays and getting turnovers and all this stuff. The Seattle Seahawks. There's no talent on the Seattle Seahawks. You got Wagner at linebacker. You've got an elite safety and what? A corner or two? They don't have anybody along the defensive line. One safety, a corner, and a linebacker. And and it's, it's who's counting them out? We've got three pass rushers, an elite defensive tackle, Jair, Kevin King, Savage, and Amos. We've got pretty much across the board just 
good with a couple elite mixed in. There's no reason not to be a dominant defense. None. And I'm just going to trust the process. I'm going to trust that Mike Patton gets this figured out. I'm going to trust that it gets going just fine. And if it does, because I'm sure some of the media pundits are, are holding on to hope, while some of them have already come around and you got the Pete Priscos who are all in on the Packers already gloating and you got Packer fans already gloating, I'm sure some of them are holding out hope. They don't want to make a statement because they're waiting for that eminent collapse of the Green Bay Packers because they trust the stats. And they've been talking a big game for a long time, and they're waiting for the Packers to fall to the Saints so that they can jump out and say, See, I told you. I knew they were bad. But at the end of the day, that's the difference between people who actually want to know things and people who just want to be right about stuff and just say things. Right? I look at the Detroit Lions, and I see all the information, and I use the information in a direction, and it doesn't go where I say it's going to go. And my first thing isn't to say, i got to find a way to, to make me still right. No, it's, why was I wrong so I can be right next time? These guys were always wrong about the Green Bay Packers, but they're not going to change. They're not going to change their mind. They've got a way of doing things, and they're just going to stop talking about it. Some of them will jump on the Packers bandwagon, and just a smooth transition, as though they haven't been trashing them all year, they're going to just pretend none of that ever happened, none of these conversations, none of the trashing and bashing for months. They're just going to pretend none of that ever happened. And suddenly they're big Packer fans, and they always, yeah, when you got Rodgers, you got a chance. Have you seen Devontae? Have you seen Aaron Jones? As though these guys are rookies. As though they haven't been doing this for years. I tell you what, this Aaron Jones kid is something special. He, uh, just, he's the apple of my eye. I loved him since his days at, in uh, college. UTEP or wherever he went. Uh, just something special. I always knew it. And we'll just pretend that that's a thing. Whatever. It's fine. But listen, Packer fans always had, for the most part, the mentality that we don't expect 13 wins, but we we do expect the team to progress. And so far, I think we're seeing that. Again, we got to hold out on the defense a little bit, but the, the fraudulent argument for me came down to two different things. Um, is the team overperforming based on talent? Yes, I think they were. But that doesn't mean, that doesn't have to be a bad thing. That's that's sort of my point. And that's sort of, to, to Kevin's point, why? Because if the answer to that question is the head coach the locker room, or any sort of positive thing that's not going away anytime soon, you look at the fact that they're quote-unquote frauds as a positive. Because similar to what I said about the Raiders, what happens when they get better? What happens, as I said, when the light bulb stays on as opposed to flickering or goes off? Nobody wanted to even entertain this. No, Everybody was so sure that this team wasn't even worth talking about. They weren't even, they were 13-3 and and won the division and went to the NFC North Championship and we couldn't find more than two guys that picked them to win the division. Because there's just this narrative. Well, they're not that good. Eh, I gotta do that. Eh, Because again, there's just this general disdain for the Packers that has started the last couple years that has just festered. And any opportunity they get to jump on the anti-Packers bandwagon, guys have been doing it. I mean, guys are getting hired just for hating the Packers. And Greg Jennings made a career out of it. But again, all that matters is, number one, ignore the nonsense. If it's true, acknowledge it. I mean, you don't have to. If you just want to just hear positive stuff, that's fine. You can fan how you want to fan. I'm not going to hate you for it. But but again, if, it, if it's reasonable and rational, fine, run with it. I just didn't think it was. And again, we had questions, and, and whether or not they got better or worse, we're going to depend on the answer to some of these questions, which we can't know. Is Matt LaFleur going to be changing the scheme? How does Aaron Rodgers respond to this? How do, you know, all these different variables. But now that we've seen two weeks of some of the best offensive football play 
that the Packers have have pretty much ever fielded. Not saying the best, but it's it's up there. It ranks with them. Go ahead and build a list of the best Packers offenses you've ever seen and ask the question, over these two weeks, is this even in that ballpark? The answer is yes. Especially when you look at balance, as somebody pointed out on Twitter. I, I mentioned their name if I remember who they were. But it's probably a general sentiment. Um, even if you go back to 2011, which is considered one of the more dominant offenses we've ever seen from the Green Bay Packers, or anybody for that matter, there was no balance to that team, not just offensively and defensively, but even run and pass. I mean, that was a a 15-1 and team. You want to talk about frauds. No disrespect to 2011. They had a fine 2012, but you want to build a case for frauds. How about a team that has no defense and no run game? A team built entirely on Aaron Rodgers throwing pinpoint passes to really good wide receivers. You want to talk about unsustainable. That's a house of cards, as we came to learn, similar to what I'm talking about with Pat Mahomes and the Chiefs. You can't just run on really good quarterback. Now, we had a lot more. We had a great offensive line, really solid wide receivers that were young. There's, there, there's all that. But, but again, what happens when you don't keep building and you start regressing? We saw what happens. Ted Thompson lost his edge, and we started losing players faster than we were replacing players and whatever. But no, the, the Packers are in great shape. And um, they're, they're in great shape for, for quite a while. And as long as Aaron Rodgers continues this, um, again, we're, we're tabling the Jordan Love conversation. And at this point, I mean, if he wants to play until he's 50 and Jordan Love is just seen as a bad pick, that's not that big of a... It's, it's really... Every, and everybody that hates the Packers wants that to be the center of the conversation. Do, do you want me to... I mean, I, I really do need to go. I'm really late here. But how hard is it going to be? I don't even need to do it for you. You go look at first-round picks. And I'm not just talking about this year because it takes time to develop. Fine, go back five years ago. Go to the draft five years ago. What was five years ago? 2015? All right, here we go. Let's really quickly look at it here. What do we got? We got Jameis Winston, number one overall pick. That was great. Marcus Mariota, Dante Fowler, Amari Cooper, Brandon Scherf, Leonard Williams, Kevin White, Vic Beasley, Eric Flowers, Todd Gurley, Trey Waynes, Danny Shelton. This is the top 12. Jameis was a bad pick. Marcus was a bad pick. Dante Fowler was a bad pick. Amari was fine, but not worth the number four overall. Brandon Scherf is a good football player. Leonard Williams was a bad pick. Kevin White was a bad pick. Vic Beasley was a bad pick. Eric Flowers, I think, was a pretty bad pick. Todd Gurley, uh, not worth 10 overall. Trey Waynes was a terrible pick. Danny Shelton is fine, not worth 12 overall. Andrus Pete for the Saints, I don't know. Devontae Parker for the Dolphins is not bad at 14, but, I mean, what has he done to help your team win? Uh, Melvin Gordon, not worth 15 overall. Kevin Johnson, I don't even know who that is. Eric Armstead, uh, I, I don't know. I, I get them all confused. Some of them are big-time busts, and some of them are good, and I don't remember which one's which. Kansas City Chiefs, Marcus Peters, solid. Uh, Cam Irving, I think, is pretty good. Nelson Aguilar is a laughingstock. Cedric Bowie, he is one of the worst offensive linemen in football. Uh, Bud Dupree, just starting to become a good football player, but has been terrible ever since. Shane Ray, Denver Broncos, terrible pick. DJ Humphreys, not good. Really bad. Shaq Thompson, not good for the Carolina Panthers. Uh, Brashad Perriman, I like him. Is he a first-round pick? No. Uh, Byron Jones was a good pick by the Cowboys. Uh, Lakin Tomlinson, I don't think, is a lion anymore, so I imagine he's not very good. Philip Dorsett, I don't hear his name, so that was a wasted pick. Demarius Randall was garbage. Uh, Stephon Anthony for the New Orleans Saints was a bad pick. They figured that out like week one. And the New Orleans Saints, or the, excuse me, the New England Patriots picked Malcolm Brown. I don't know anything about him. How many really good players are in this entire draft? Like two? I don't think one of these guys is still dominant today. Maybe maybe Bud Dupree in Pittsburgh is becoming pretty dominant. Probably a, an offensive lineman or two are really good still. Half of these guys are, are at best backups. So, yeah, I'm not worried about it. I'm really not. So Anyway, I, I got to go. It's 520. I'm supposed to be done at 5 o'clock.
You folks have yourselves a fantastic day. Tomorrow we will have a little bit more information on the uh, injury reports. I mean, that's today, but you know we'll talk about it tomorrow. And um, if you got some questions, please send them in. I know some of you already asked questions. Um, if you're still waiting, send it again because I forgot. I want to try to get that mixed in a little bit more so we're not just getting very robotic with the same episodes all the time. But anyways, again, have a great day. Talk to you tomorrow. Bye-bye.